Hello and welcome back to Over the Top Football. John, how are you, mate? Very well, Rob. It's my last day before Christmas and then I've got a few weeks off. So, uh, yeah, I'm enjoying myself. I'm looking forward to, to a bit of a break and uh, binging on Premier League football for a few weeks. What about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, long-time listeners will know that this is probably about the fourth podcast in a row that I seem to have had some uh, illness lingering around. So that isn't particularly good. I'm looking forward to getting a couple of days off over the Christmas period to rest. Uh, but apart from that, all good. I've been very much enjoying some of the roundup coverage of the World Cup. And I think actually one thing, one man, if you like, I would like to apologise a little bit because I said that Didier Deschamps actually, despite losing, had a great final. I kind of didn't give Scaloni his uh, just dues there as well. And actually, yeah. Angel Maria had only played 30 minutes of uh, tournament football past the group stages. But apparently Scaloni said, without doubt, there's problems that we can cause France on the left. Nice nod. It's good decision making from Scaloni. I think, again, um, you'd previously mentioned about whether he had enough experience, but I think he's proven now over the last few years, especially with the Cup of America success, going into this World Cup, he appears to be a very good manager. He obviously came through the youth setup at, with the Argentine national team. I think he was maybe Sevilla assistant manager for a year or two, but in terms of overall managerial experience, he's clearly been brought up through the ranks there, sort of spotted as a potential successor to the previous manager, and he's he's absolutely taken his chance, so fair play to him. And I thought he was following on from the, the early disappointing result against Saudi Arabia. I thought he managed this Argentine team excellently. Yeah, I, com- I completely agree. I think he did a very good job all round, to be honest with you. Um, so let's move on to today's topic. And today's topic is a really good one, I feel. It's us pivoting away from World Cup coverage and it's getting more into things that we're looking forward to for the rest of the season. So disclaimer for your viewers here, this mentions a couple of different leagues. It's mainly Premier League based, but it's kind of now reframing our focus towards some things that we're looking forward to for the end of the season. And John, start me off with your first pick, which I believe is a little bit of a chat about Newcastle. It is. Yeah, I think Newcastle is a really interesting one. I don't know. Newcastle are probably one of the teams from the Premier League that didn't want to see an international break or World Cup break and a winter break because they were on such a good road and they were such a good run of things. It will be interesting. Obviously, they're in the top four right now. Can they hold on to the top four is the big question, especially after the break. The interesting bit around it is people are sort of rooting for them to finish top four because they're seen as a bit of an underdog at this point. My point is, once Newcastle are in the top four, you're not getting them out of it. So it will probably be worse for the rest of the league whenever Newcastle do finish within the Champions League spots because they have a war chest of funds available to them to go out and buy whoever they want effectively. And with the prospect of Champions League football, the ability to lure those types of top-class players will be much, much easier. So I really feel like once Newcastle finish inside the top four, there's no getting them out of it. And it will mean that two of the top four spots effectively go towards City and Newcastle. Um, and it will reduce the other two spots to Liverpool, United, Arsenal, Tottenham, uh, Chelsea, whoever else wants to make a run for it as well. So I just think in the grand scheme of things, it could be detrimental to the rest of the league, but you have to appreciate the job that Eddie Howe's done there and the run that they've went on and the performances from the likes of Almiron, uh, Gomez, 
Trippier is going to be coming back fairly fresh from the World Cup as well. So it'll be interesting to see if they can pick the momentum back up and make a charge towards the top four. Definitely. And I believe they actually played last night. We're recording this on a Wednesday morning. Uh, yeah, I believe they got a W in the Carabao Cup, which kind of shows no shakiness um, going into the rest of the season. So I think you're right. I think Eddie Howe has done a brilliant job. But talk to me about one or two of maybe the tactical things that he's done. You've kind of mentioned some of the signings. I really like what they've done um, in terms of profiling and scouting talent. It feels like with people like Isaac as well, even though it's early days, they've gone for the right type of balance and the right type of players. But talk to me about one or two things that you like, what you've done tactically. Yeah, I think what they haven't done from a scouting perspective initially is they haven't went out and tried to sign big, big proven names. You know, whenever Man City came into all the money, a few of the early signings like Rubinho, for example, just did not work. So I think Newcastle have maybe taken a page out of their book and looking at potential signings and up-and-coming players like Bruno Gomeris, they have went and signed experience like Trippier and like Dan Byrne and Nick Pope. But linking that in with up-and-coming potential youth players like Gamaris, like Sven Botman, who's been outstanding this season as well. And I think what goes beyond that is how he's been able to get the best out of players that maybe weren't performing beforehand or weren't performing to the level that they are now. And maybe people like Jack Grealish didn't think they had it in their locker, like Almiron this season. So a sign of a good manager is being able to make signings, incorporate and build a strong squad, but more importantly, get the most out of the players that are already there. I think he's been able to do that exceptionally well. I think if you even if you look at the Newcastle team before Eddie Howe came in and you had Fabian Shaw on the bench um, and the sales and one other were in playing centre half, whereas now Fabian Shaw is definite pick within that team alongside Sven Botman and he's been exceptional for them since Howe came in. So his ability to get the best out of the players that are already there, even he's made George O'Shelby at times look outstanding. So tactically, he solidified them, especially defensively. They've got an exceptional defensive record in the Premier League, but they've been able to get at them um, more and more offensively. The performances for Almiron, Callum Wilson this season, everybody sort of thought that if Newcastle were going to deliver from a, an offensive perspective, it was going to be some maximum that would be their key player. But he's been able to get the best of the players around him to drive them as far up the table as he's got them to date. Yeah, I think you are right. Joel Linton, Almiron, they look like kind of completely new players. And I think, yeah, that speaks volumes to work on the training ground, get the defence solidified first, find people roles that they're comfortable with, and then they can really kind of explode from there. Um, but it also, and sorry for putting you on the spot with this one, it also did get me thinking though, are there any players kind of over history who were actually a good buy for the club but just ended up completely not working because their manager ruined them. You have absolutely put me on the spot. Um, there's probably been quite a quite a number, and it might point more towards players who have signed for a certain manager and then that manager's left. I think we could look back in a number of years and say someone like Billy Gilmore could have fallen into that category uh, for Brighton this season, but I don't know. I think that's a sort of long-term thing that I definitely needed to prep for in advance of the question and uh, you've sort of won that on me but I'm sure there's there's loads and loads of examples I think Robbie Keane at Liverpool's probably won though I think um, whenever Robbie Keane came into Liverpool he was sort of brought in with the 
the onus being on that he would excel if we signed Gareth Barry as well, which we didn't do that summer. I think he went to Man City the same summer. And from there, the, the manager's sort of perspective on it definitely changed. He got less opportunity. Anytime he did play, he was okay with Fernando Torres up front. He scored a few good goals, especially one that's memorable against Arsenal where he took it on the half-turn volley. But I think most Liverpool fans would have been disappointed not to see the most out of Robbie Keane. But I think from a tactical perspective, Rafa Benitez had sort of set it up to rely on a player that we didn't have at that point. And for that reason, he was unable to get the most out of Robbie Keane within a Liverpool shirt. And obviously he went back to Tottenham and did a very good job there again. Definitely. And it wouldn't be a podcast without you getting your podcastly Robbie Keane mentioning. So lovely exactly. to see that. Um, <laughs> we've got a few... We've got a few topics to discuss today, John. So uh, shall we roll on to my first one that I'm interested in seeing, which will be the return of the Champions League. Insert Champions League theme song here in the edit. Uh, but yeah, I think this will be super exciting. I think the last two or three years of the Champions League have brought up some really huge shocks. I don't think there's an overwhelming favourite to win because every year they seem to say that it's PSG or Man City and every single year, they somehow seem to not win the competition. But the reason I put this on our little footnote is that it's the, the last time the Champions League will be as it is. It's getting a little bit super leaguey with them putting 10 teams. You play a minimum of 10 teams and it's all the group stages is all going to be one big group that you get kind of not randomly allocated, but bigger teams will play the bigger teams a little bit more in the group stage. And via a coefficient, you'll play random teams, which... Seems a little bit unfair to me because there's always breakthrough teams like this year's Napoli who end up not being, well, being a lot better than their coefficient suggests. Yeah, I think it's a solid point. Um, with the Champions League, it's a difficult one because if it's not broke, don't fix it. And you don't, nobody, I don't think any football fan supported the European Super League. And I don't think any football fan would be particularly keen on seeing the new format for Champions League football as well. I just don't see why there's a need to change it. So, It'll be a little bit bittersweet watching the second half of the Champions League season this year, thinking that that's about to change in the near future. But you're right to think as well as the Champions League is such a different tournament in that teams could scrape through the group stage where teams like Napoli could finish top of the group. But momentum might have gone for them when it comes to February because a lot can happen between the end of November and, and the start of February. So even Liverpool's form, you know, they weren't in great form towards the end of group stage. We finished second in a strong group. But now we're against Real Madrid and it's if we can build momentum, start to get the most out of Darwin Nunes, get a few midfielders in the January transfer window, then that's a completely different prospect to what it looked like in December when the draw was made. So, yeah, I, I don't think, I think with the Champions League, from my perspective, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And we should never change the format of it. But it'll be a, a little bit bittersweet and, and sorrowful to watch a Champions League not have this format in the future. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. Technically, you should always be open to seeing new ideas, right? So I think the Qatar World Cup was really a great example of that, to be honest with you, because obviously we saw the first one in winter, first one in a new location. But I'm just going to read out some of the last 16 ties here, John. And there's some heavy hitters. So you already mentioned Liverpool-Real Madrid, but there's PSG versus Bayern Munich. There's um, Leipzig-Man City. AC Milan, Tottenham, Dortmund versus Chelsea. I'd say there's quite a lot of ties there that may be more befitting of a quarterfinal or semi-final. 
Yeah, definitely. I think we're we're seeing more teams, sort of slight underdogs, that will reach the quarterfinal, potential semifinal stages as well because they've got favorable draws or they've excelled in the group stage. If you're, you know, we need to give them credit as well. So I think we'll see some of the bigger teams or bigger names historically go out earlier, as because that's the way that the ties have been set up. But it'll be interesting to see if there's any shocks in any teams that get to the semi-final and potential final that we didn't expect at the start of the season. Obviously, we look at the 2004 final where it was Monaco Porto. No one would have predicted that. So it'll be interesting to see with the format, the way it is this season for the last time, potentially, whether we'll see any shock packages get to the final or semi-final stages and sort of win the hearts of all these football fans and, and make a name for themselves as well like Jose Marino did with Porto back in 2004. Definitely. The one thing I would say to counter that is, my God, 2004 is a long time ago, and we've never quite had a shock like it. Uh, but I'm quite hot on Benfica this year. I think we'll do this in a separate episode, maybe, when we do um, some Champions League predictions. But I'm quite hot on Benfica having a bit of a run. I don't know what you think about them. I'm never going to dismiss any of your Benfica shouts ever again, especially when it comes to Enzo Fernandez. It's whether they'll have them still at that point. We played them last season across two ties and Darwin Nunes definitely stood out for me across those two ties, but they were competitive. They gave us a good game and I think they could potentially get to another quarterfinal type stage. It's whether they have the quality to get beyond that point is going to be the question. Um, I could see them get to the quarterfinal, but personally, I don't think we'll see Benfica pass that quarterfinal stage, but I've made many statements on this podcast to date that have come back and, and bitten me. So I'll, I'll never dismiss a Benfica shout from yours, but uh, I, I don't think it'll be their year to win it anyway. I, I can certainly make that statement. Definitely. So again, let's move on to your second topic of today, which is a bit of chat about the WSL. Um, so obviously Women's Super League, we haven't really discussed this. We've mentioned it in passing on the pod before, but Excited to hear some of your thoughts on that and, yeah, what are kind of the key things to look for if somebody hasn't watched much WSL this season? Yeah, I think before we start, if you haven't watched the WSL, go and watch the WSL. Um, I'm a big fan. I would watch it quite regularly. Women's football is massively on the up in England in terms of a number of years ago getting Barclays as the key sponsor for the WSL sort of provided a little bit more money into the game within England. We've seen the likes of Alex Morgan come across, a number of other US World Cup winners playing in the WSL now. But in terms of drama, people miss it all the time. One of the probably best days in a league season um, was the last day of the last season of the WSL when it came down to Chelsea and Arsenal, last game of the season, who would win the league? That game, Chelsea ended up winning it. Sam Kerr scored two outstanding goals past United to get the win on the last day of the season for Emma Hayes' Chelsea team. But it sort of set up for that way at the minute as well. There's 22 games in a WSL season. We're halfway through that season and there's statistically nothing to separate Chelsea and Arsenal again. Chelsea are three points ahead, having played an extra game. So if Arsenal win that game, it will go level on points again halfway through the season. The difficulty for Arsenal is that they've started to come up with some very, very troublesome injuries. You know, Vivian Medema has picked up and ruptured her ACL um, this week. So it will be more and more difficult for Arsenal to compete against Chelsea. It, you're going to be looking at the likes of Beth Mead, um, who everyone knows from the Euros last summer, you know, having to step up and try and fulfill fill the boots um, of some of the goals that Medema will leave behind with her being unavailable for the rest of the season. But 
potentially same points halfway through the season. It came down to one point at the end of last season on the final day, having to come from behind. The quality of football is outstanding in the WSL. Many argue against it, but they're definitely, definitely wrong. Um, if you haven't watched it, go and watch it. If you're close to the matches, go to a game. And if those who are struggling to get into the WSL, there's a number of good documentaries that you should watch around it. I think there was one on BBC iPlayer not too long ago around West Ham women. I think it was Football's Youngest Boss, it was called, around Jack Sullivan. Go and watch that to get you set up to sort of get into the WSL and the women's football in, in England because the, the level's outstanding. I'm a big Liverpool fan. We're doing okay this season. Um, Katie Stengel's been outstanding, but we've been sort of hit with the injury to you know, Leanne Kiernan, who set us back a little bit at the start of the season. But my recommendation would be to watch it. It looks like it's going to be a dramatic second half of the season. And if you aren't invested in it to date, go and stick it on Sky Sports. It's You'll not regret it. It's a very, very good watch. Yeah, a ringy endorsement. And I think we should be supporting things like this in our country. Obviously, the females get paid way less than the men, which, which kind of naturally impacts the quality of the product. I would I would like to see more interest. I think we've had record crowds in um, some of the last few seasons in some of those games. And my God, particularly living in London, are the ticket prices more affordable? I think I've paid £15 maybe for a Women's Super League game before, whereas a typical Spurs home game might set you back about 80. So different forms of football, I'm all for. And yeah, I think... Uh, you raise a good. You, could, you raise another good point about Beth Mead. I've seen she's on the BBC Sports Personality of the Year awards list. Do you think she's got a chance? Why not? She's a Euros champion. Um, the difficulty that nobody wants to raise that if that was Harry Kane and he had just won the Euros with England, it would be a no-brainer. Be favoured by Country Mile and probably being paid out already. The achievement that the England women's team made last summer was way above anybody anticipated um, or had prepped themselves for because people were playing catch-up when it came to the Lionesses. But this English women's team have been outstanding for quite a number of seasons. And all the different arguments that you'll get from the likes of Jamie Carragher pointed towards that the English manager needs to be English and sort of brings it back to the podcast that we did several weeks ago around where do England go now? I think Sabrina Wagman is exactly an example of why adult, they don't need to be English. They just need to embrace the culture um, and get the best out of the team, which is exactly what she's done following having taken over from Phil Neville at this point. But I sort of put it to you, if, if it had been Harry Kane won the Euros two years ago, would he have won the Sports Personality of the Year? And that's the standards that we have to withhold and we have to hold the WSL to because they're professional footballers playing at the top of their game and representing their country to winning a, a massive international tournament so for me for me I would I my vote would go towards Beth Mead certainly so I agree and I disagree uh purely just because I feel like Harry Kane is somewhat marginalized in this country obviously I'm not going to pretend that when his penalty miss happened like he suffered any racism or anything like that but um rival fans do like to make fun of him his speech impediment I think obviously you've got a large portion of Chelsea, Arsenal, West Ham fans who will probably never vote for him. But men's football is by a distance the most popular sport in the country. So, yeah, I agree. If, if you're going to set that standard for the men, why not for the women as well? I actually haven't seen some of the other candidates this year. The only other one I know is Ben Stokes, and he's almost definitely not going to win it. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think interesting. 
and excited to kind of see what she can do in the other half of the season. Uh, less excited to see what Arsenal can do, particularly if it's them winning another uh, another league. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to make my prediction now, I would say that, that Chelsea will do it. Um, I think the quality that they have within the squad, I think injuries are, are sort of beneficial to them at this point in terms of they haven't been hit this hard. I think... Vivian Medima is a massive, massive player and probably the catalyst for Arsenal. So it'd be interesting to see how they react in the second half of the season. But I certainly think that it'll certainly be dramatic anyway. The WSL has improved so much that Chelsea, you would expect to beat most teams. Uh, Arsenal, you would expect to beat most teams. But Man City and Man United now, who were previously in the Championship a number of years ago, have the ability to beat anybody on their day. So it means that it's way, way closer than it used to be historically. Definitely. And I'm all for leagues that are competitive. So talking of competitiveness brings us quite nicely onto my second point, actually, which if you look at the uh, Premier League table from bottom down, and obviously three teams get relegated from the 20-team league, honestly, just looking at the table now, you could argue that all the way up to Fulham in ninth, there's a chance that every team gets relegated. So bottom of the table, you've got Wolves on 10 points, but they have just changed their manager. Then Southampton on 12 points. They've also just changed their manager. Forest on 13. And that's before they buy another 10 players in the January window. Everton on 14. Then you have West Ham on 14. They've picked up a little bit of form. Leeds on 15. They're quite good by the eye test, but struggle against teams around them. Bournemouth on 16. Recently just confirmed O'Neill as their permanent manager. Leicester who were in an absolute world of trouble, have now got themselves up to 13th place on 17 points. You then got Villa, 12th on 18, Palace, 11th on 19, Brentford, 10th on 19th, and Fulham, uh, again, 9 on 19th. So you've really not got all that much to separate these teams. Between 11 places, you've got six points. Yeah, and it's, it's going to be similar to my next point, but you're right in terms of overall favourites to go down at this point, especially with the Winter World Cup in the middle of it all, it makes it very, very difficult to to predict because you look at Nottingham Forest, for example, you would say that at this point in this sort of the amount of games played, they could be someone that you would certainly predict could go down. But you also put it to them that they signed, what was it, 21 players in the summer with six weeks off with some additional time in the trainer ground with um, with the manager, you would expect that they come back a little bit more, more cohesive, um, a little bit more tactically astute to the players around them and that they should make a bigger push up the, the table for the rest of the season, which frees up one of the relegation spots. I have zero idea who will go down this season. You would expect the likes of Everton and West Ham to get away f- from those positions in the table just with the level of quality they have within the squad but I've, I've no idea you, you're probably looking right up to as you mentioned ninth in terms of the potential teams that could fall into the bottom three at some point it would be funny with Emmy Martinez with Villa um, that they weren't that far away from the relegation places a few months ago it would have been funny with all the the housery that we've talked about him doing to him finish up in the championship but I don't think that's going to happen I think there's probably a handful of teams. It would be interesting to see what Gary O'Neill does at Bournemouth. He started off incredibly well. Now the job is his permanently. Will that affect results at all? 
But if you're paying me at this point to guess who would go down, I would only put my money on Southampton at this point. I have no idea who else. Yeah, I think it's it's very hard to tell. Obviously, a season like no other, which we seem to say every season at the minute with things like COVID and whatever impacting this, the football. But yeah, I think Southampton are probably gone. I don't know that much about Nathan Jones as a manager, to be honest. I have heard promising things from Luton, but obviously mm. Southampton is a big step up. And yeah. they recruited well in the summer, but it was almost like relegation signings they were going for. Uh, sorry if that sounds a bit harsh, but it did kind of look like they were kind of putting some bets on some younger guys who either would be there with them in the championship or have good seasons and they sell one or two and then that's kind of their transfer budget moving forward for future seasons. Yep. I'm going to say right now, Southampton, Everton, Forest. Mm. That's my three. Mm. Bournemouth will free fall to 16th, I think, but they might just escape because I quite like some of the football they play. They've got a nice attacking little swagger to them. Yeah, I I, I like them as well. And I think Gary Neal's done an incredible job there. Um, but I, I might tip them to go down. If I was to pick three and you put a gun to my head right now, I would say Southampton, Bournemouth and Leeds. I think Leeds are a little bit too inconsistent at this point. I don't know if they have the squad that will allow them to continue to build upon the results that they have. They obviously sold Rafinha and Calvin Phillips in the summer. And have they replaced them well enough at this point with the likes of Aronson, with Tyler Adams? Um, certainly good signings, but do they fill the void that those players left? And those players just avoided relegation themselves last season. So might be a team that gets dragged into it, but I think, Bournemouth Swedes will fall off at some point. I think Southampton, you talked about Nathan Jones, did an outstanding job at Luton. I think both times he was there. Went to Stoke, didn't deliver. And I think it's a massive gamble for Southampton to have got rid of someone like Hasselhutten, who nobody gets his name right, and I probably just slaughtered as well. But I always think he did a better job than he got credit for at Southampton, especially with the limited budget that they had. And you're right, the likes of Joe Rebo, um, the goalkeeper that they brought in as well from Man City, feels like a that they're building the team rather than building a team to accelerate themselves up the Premier League table. Feels like every single season they sign players to stay in the division. And as we saw with Burnley last season, that catches up with you. Yeah, definitely. And I'm shocked that you've forgotten the name of Bazunu, your Irish brother. Um I'm actually just seeing something. Gavin Gavin Bazunu. No, it's uh just for me, our, our number one is is Keevan Kelleher. So, uh, but no, Bazunu is, is he's done really well at Southampton, but it seems like a sign-in for the future. Definitely. And I can't believe that your number one goalkeeper's first name is Queef. Queeving. Don't get it wrong. He's an outstanding goalkeeper from Cork, and he's been, he, he will be Ireland's number one for a long time, but Bazunu is, is, got initial credit because I think he saved the Ronaldo penalty when we played Portugal last year um, and he went, had a, a number of very very good loan spells from Man City as well but it'll be interesting to see who takes that number one spot because it's been a while since we've been able to fill the Shea given void yeah definitely um, okay let's move on to final points um, so you had talking of competitive leagues you actually had another one to raise for us um, talk to me a bit about the championship 
yeah, the championship is probably the most competitive league in world football, in my opinion. And it's never been more true than this season. And they have obviously started back earlier than everybody else. But the level of competition within the championship this season, if you haven't given it enough attention, please go and do so. There at this point, there is 15 teams in the hunt for, for four playoff spots. If you look at third place right on down to 17th, and that's not an un, that's not a you know a massive statement statistically and you know factually if you look you've got Blackburn on 39 points. I would say Blackburn and Watford might be safe, but you just don't know with the championship. If you look at Norwich down in fifth position on 35 points, right all the way down to Stoke in 17th position on 29 points, there's six points difference between 13 diff- between 13 spots in the championship. Even if you look further on down, right up to Hull City in 21st place on 26 points, to say that there is nine points between 4th and 21st in the championship is just insane. And with the break we've seen with the likes of Burnley who are top of the table at this minute in time, 23 games played, 13 wins, 8 draws, 2 losses. You can draw and drop points in the championship, but still be in the hunt for a playoff spot, as we've seen with all of these different clubs. And I think this season, more than many, many others, it will come down to probably the last game of the season for multiple positions for the playoffs. You know, it's it's just an incredible watch. If you follow it closely, you'll understand the level of competition this season. But if you don't, I would advise you to go and watch it. There's some outstanding teams in the championship this season, and some outstanding players for the teams that are maybe mid-table to further on down. But I have zero idea who will go up from the playoff position. You would expect Burnley and Sheffield United to maybe hold on to the two automatic promotion places. But when it comes to the next four positions between Blackburn, Watford, Norwich and QPR at this minute in time, and then everybody else below that, I would be very, very impressed if anybody can predict who the playoff winner will be, never mind who the four teams within those positions will be come the end of the season. Definitely. Um, Yeah, and there's so many interesting narratives. Vincent Company changing Burnley into prime Barcelona. Uh, You've got Brereton Diaz's last dance with Blackburn. He'll probably leave on a free at the end of the year, if not actually in January, if they do decide to cash in. QPR's manager has just gone to Rangers, so will they have a little bit of a fall-off? I think there's lots of storylines here that are really interesting. And just a side note, actually, kind of shows you that there's no perfect way to do it in the league. So Burnley are first, and they've won 13 games, drawn eight, and lost two. Blackburn are third, winning 13, drawing zero, and losing 10. Yeah, it's just insane. And they're, what, eight points behind? It's it's just mental. It's incredible. What a what a league. Like I said, if you don't watch it close enough, especially if you're listening from some international regions, the English Championship is just an incredible league from a competitive perspective. You even look at some of the big mass, the big big well known stories of clubs taking themselves from the bottom of the table when a manager comes in, like Sunderland with with Roy Keane. I'll throw another Keane at you this episode. Um, if you go back and watch their route from 24th to 1st, it's believable in the championship because there is so many mixed results with any team there. And there is so many draws from the bottom of the table to the top of the table. It's 
within that's why we love the Premier League, right? Anybody can beat anybody, but I think the championship takes it a step further in that anybody can beat anybody. But at this point, anybody can get promoted, which is the best part of football. Definitely. And I think the number of changing facets in that league as well, obviously having three teams go up, four teams go down. I know it's a more padded league, but it does make it feel fresh every time. I definitely know a lot of people who bet on the championship will be familiar with its competitiveness due to the severe amount of ackers they've probably lost by trying to do top versus bottom. Um, but let's move on because we've got one more topic left to discuss. And somehow between us, we've managed to pick a bunch of competitive leagues. I think that says something for kind of what we want to see in football. I know as a Spurs fan, I want a bit more competitiveness. So Tottenham actually win something again. But I've decided to throw at you Serie A because this will be really interesting. It's had new winners the last three years, I believe. You've had Inter, AC, and maybe it was Juve before that. I can't remember exactly. But this year you have Napoli on 41 points after 15 games. Second place is AC Milan on 33. Will we have, come the end of the season, a new champion? We very much... We very, very well could. Um, like I said, it'll be interesting to see how the Serie A season starts up again. Following the World Cup break, Napoli were in incredible form. and had significant momentum. Played 15, won 13 of those, and draw, drew the other two. So they've not been beaten this season. You would expect that to change in a, in a league as competitive as the Serie A. Um, but it'll be, it'll be very, very interesting. You probably look from seventh upwards and anybody can beat anybody. If you look from Roma, Atalanta, Inter, Lazio, Juventus, AC Milan, Napoli. I'm just not set that Napoli are going to do it yet. You just, like I said, you don't know what Napoli are going to come back following the international break. Uh, but you would love to see it because you don't really want to get a Bundesliga type situation or a SBL type situation for many, many years where it was one team winning the league every single year. Um, you want that competitiveness. You want to make it more entertaining. And that will bring in more international fans to, to watch this area. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's probably one of the best things it has going for it at the minute. I think the quality is probably a little bit less on the Premier League or some of its other rivals. So the fact that it's become a properly competitive league, every team near the top has a few kind of players that you, you really want to watch. It's historically been a defensive league, but obviously you have absolute bagsmen in this league like Giroud, Immobile, Awesome men. So I think it will be really interesting. Just looking at some of their underlying numbers, Napoli's optics look very good. Goal difference of plus 25 when the next best in the league is 17. Uh, they've also yet to lose a game, which obviously gives them a little bit of invincibility. And I think having like Kreacher, Kuritzfelia, um not play at the World Cup, didn't have Osimhen play at the World Cup. I think they've got a few key players and obviously just being an Italian team, They've got a few of their team members as well. So hopefully they're well-rested. And for them, it will be about getting someone like Kim Min Jai, who didn't look quite fit at the World Cup, back and firing as fast as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I think they've got a good chance, like I said, but it's it's so difficult to predict whenever you've had that stop, you've had that break, you've had some players away from the rest of the group. You've had some players that maybe aren't match fit because they haven't been playing at the World Cup. So you have no idea whether... This break is going to be beneficial for the likes of, you know, Salah and Holland and some of the Napoli players as well. You've no idea, so it'll just be interesting to see over the next few weeks. I think we'll have a better understanding probably mid-January as to what way the Serie A is going to wrap up. 
But what I would say as well, the Serie A is an incredibly exciting league from a competitive nature. I think the overriding uh, point that we're making from a number of these points are that we like competitive football. We like to see challengers when it comes to top positions and, and success and failure. But for the Serie A, we also just, I would love to have the Channel 4 show back on a Sunday morning with James Richardson sort of presenting Serie A football. I used to love Serie A football as a kid. And I don't know whether it was before your time, but if we're talking Serie A, we should also be asking for, for Football Italia to be come back on Channel 4 and give us all visibility to the second half of the season. 100%. That was absolute vibes, getting up to watch that, watching some of the, the best players of the era as well. I think yeah. Italy was kind of where you'd go at that time. So yes, I definitely agree. I miss uh, Mr. Richardson's bold head and coolness. He, he had a bit of a Zidane swagger to him somehow, I think. So yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, but I will say, actually, YouTube do very good Syria A um, highlights packages. So there are good games that you can collect, you can catch kind of uh, five minutes or so here and there. Like just looking recently, Fiorentina three into Milan. Like even just watching the highlights of that one was a pleasure. Um, Atlanta two into three. Like there's been some real stalwart ones. So if you don't mind knowing what the score in the game is, head to YouTube to catch a bit of Syria ah, and make sure you keep a little bit of an eye on um, some of the progress of that league because Juve even are actually coming back a bit. They've had a really good last month or so. So it'll be interesting to see if Napoli can maintain their consistency and not allow them to be caught. Absolutely. But the overriding message is we want to see it on Football Italia with James Richardson. So bring it back. Give it, give the fans what they want. Uh, but I think it's a good point. I, I'm very excited for the second half of the season for Serie A. Um, by the size of things, I don't know if my wife's going to see me. So, you know, that might be a, a, something we see later on in the year in terms of the my marriage status. Yeah, there's a lot of football to look forward to the second half of the season. And there's loads of stuff we haven't talked about already as well, which we will cover in future podcasts. But I just can't wait to get club football back. I don't know what how you're feeling. Yeah, I mean, I am. Spurs weren't always an enjoyable watch. They're a little bit Jekyll and Hyde last time Spurs were at. So I think it depends what type of Tottenham comeback. But I am excited for club football. And I mean, it'll be coming every three, four days from this point forward. It'll be thick and fast. Just whilst we're on that mention of the Italian football show in the morning, though, we are looking for a sponsor for this podcast. So if Channel 4 want to bring that back and have a sponsor, have, have it sponsor this podcast, we are now officially a UK charting sports podcast. Unbelievable. Well done. I was going to say, why should this sponsor? Because we're, we're charting at the minute. At the minute, you're right. We are 16th in the Spotify sports podcast in the UK. So once again, thank you to everyone who's taken the time to, to listen, to share, to turn on the notifications and to rate us. And if we could ask you to continue to do so, that would be incredibly, incredibly useful and helpful for us um so we'd really appreciate it but as as rob has talked upon uh, talked about we're very very open to different sponsorships we're open to getting other brands out there working alongside additional brands and continuing to build the brand that is over the top football 100 percent, and i think that is possibly the perfect way to finish the podcast lots to look forward to um both from a football perspective and an over-the-top perspective John, thank you as ever. Any closing remarks from yourself? No, I look forward to chatting again in the next few days. We, 
as much as we both have families and uh, have other commitments, we will be committing ourselves to getting further podcasts out during the Christmas season. And um, yeah, try and stop us talking about the Premier League over the next few weeks. I'm very excited. Yeah, when Boxing Day hits and it's a full schedule of Premier League football, oh, it's going to be a good one. That will certainly nurse Christmas's hangover quite nicely. Um, Thank you very much, John. Yeah. Thank you very much, Rob. I was going to say, if I get to listen to Ali McCoy instead of Martin Tyler on Boxing Day, it's always even better. So appreciate you taking the time. Always good to chat. Look forward to chatting again in the next few days. (laughs) 100% mate. And yeah, make sure you are subscribed with notifications on for Over the Top Football for that podcast. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mum. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Mum. Rest up. 